anytime we start talking about taxes or finances or like strategic planning, I think a lot of people get like freaked out where like, oh, I'm not a numbers person. I'm not a spreadsheet person. I'm like, well, if you want to be an investor or a full-time like operator, you have to understand these things. And it's part of just shifting your identity of like the numbers aren't scary. 1031 exchanges aren't scary. Cost segregation studies aren't scary. It's just part of the business. What's up, everybody? My name's Mike Shogren here with my co-host, Emmanuel Pani. We're part of a group of specialized real estate investors you've probably never heard of. We didn't start with deep pockets or wealthy families, and we don't rely on 401ks, mutual funds, or traditional real estate investing. In fact, many of us don't even own the properties that fund our freedom. If you ask the money experts out there, they'd say what we do is impossible, yet it's happening every single day. It's happening through a new niche called short-term rentals. We are Short-Term Rental Nation, and these are our secrets. STR Nation, before we get into this week's episode, I've got some I am so excited to share with you guys. For the last couple of years, we've been recruiting and training virtual assistants for our private mastermind students, and we have now officially opened that up to the public. So if you are looking to hire a virtual assistant for your short-term rental business, then go to strsecrets.com slash VA. And we will recruit, onboard, and train a VA for you. And if they don't save you at least 40 hours a month in admin work, then you don't pay. So I put a crazy guarantee on this because I've been testing this out for the last two years with our mastermind members. And I'm so confident that it works that if it doesn't randomly work for you, I'm literally going to give your money back. So if you want more info on that offer, head over to strsecrets.com slash VA. And now let's get to this week's episode. All right, STR Nation, we are back for another episode. And today we have Mr. Dave Foster on the show, who is a uh, second time guest. You may recognize Dave. I think it's been at least a year, year and a half since Dave was on the show. Really enjoyed, and we'll have the link down in the comments or in the uh, show notes for the last episode, but I found it fascinating. I know a lot of the listeners found it fascinating about Dave's journey through 1031 exchanges and how he's built a pretty sweet lifestyle for himself, uh, leveraging this tool and some different strategies to just max out your lifestyle, quite frankly, while building wealth and cash flow. So, Dave, welcome back, man. I'm glad you're here. Thank you. It's great to be back. That's seven Absolutely. years in dog years, by the way. It yeah, exactly. Longer, doesn't it? Exactly, exactly. And we'll definitely talk about this too. You got a new book out, which we will definitely uh, hit Lifetime Tax-Free Wealth. But for the folks that haven't caught the first episode yet, can you give us like the 60 second rundown on your background? And then let's talk about all the magic of 1031 exchanges. Yeah. So I think first and foremost, I'm a frustrated real estate investor because I never met a piece of real estate I didn't want to buy, but it wasn't always right. And the numbers don't always work and the markets are always different. But doggone it, I just love real estate. Now, you couple with that, with the fact that I'm also a degreed accountant. So there's just enough of the nerd in me that I hate paying taxes and I love to find ways to avoid it. And that led me into becoming a qualified intermediary who performs 1031 exchanges for people. And I don't think we talked about this last time because it had not hit my brain at that point. But I've been in mourning now for months. Because I realized that the sum total of my life goes back to one mistake I made 30 years ago. And no, it was not getting married. That was the best thing I've ever done. 
30 years ago, I bought a piece of property and I sold it without thinking of the tax consequences. And I ended up having to pay about a $30,000 tax bill. That was my first transaction. And I just did some math a little bit ago and said, holy cow, if I would have been able to keep that 30,000 and instead of paying the tax, make money off of it, that's $3,000 a year for 30 years and then compound that, I would have about two or $300,000 more than I have right now. See how one mistake can just ruin a good day, darn it. But that's when I found the 1031 exchange. And what's so important, and we talked about it in the story, is that it lets you sell investment real estate and buy investment real estate without having to pay that tax in the middle. You get to keep it for your use. So STR Nation, you guys all have the benefit of learning from my mistakes. Have fun. Love it. Love it. So for the folks that are like new, right? Like what is a 1031 exchange? Like at a high level, what exactly is that? Yeah. Anytime that you have a piece of real estate that either has a lot of appreciation or has been depreciated, which is a tax benefit that you get, you have the opportunity to sell that real estate and using a specific process called the 1031, you can go and buy new real estate and you get to indefinitely defer paying that tax. So if we took, you know, an investor that sold a property with $100,000 in profit and they do a 1031 exchange, so they don't have to pay 20%, $20,000 of tax on that profit, they get to use that. Well, that gives them $100,000 to put down as a down payment, right? So they could buy a property with 20% down, $500,000. If an investor chooses to pay the taxes they go, they still did well, but they only have $80,000 left to go buy their new piece of property. So they can only buy a property worth about $400,000. So see, simply by doing the typical exchange, that first investor could buy more real estate. And we actually use that example and compound back over four transactions in 20 years. And at the end of 20 years and only four transactions, the investor who does the 10 exchanges ends up owning $12.5 million of real estate. The investor who doesn't do 1031s ends up owning about $3.5 That's how much difference it makes in the compounding effect of that interest and that big tax. But that's what it is at a high level. Love it. Love it. Let's walk us through. We were talking offline about this because E and I get this question all the time. You know, if somebody's considering unloading or selling one of their properties, walk us through that thought process or, you know, when should they start thinking about like, okay, if I want to do this 1031 exchange, because there's a limited amount of time that you can actually execute on this and you work with a, an intermediary like yourself to like facilitate the transaction. But what should they be thinking about and kind of preparing as they're getting ready to list a property for sale? That's a great topic to be talking about right now at this time of year because everybody's in the middle of end of year planning, right? All of a sudden it starts to hit you. Oh my gosh, I've got taxes coming up. I got to do something. And now is a good time to do that. But, you know, in general, over the years, there's a few principles, I guess, that I've always followed. Number one is 
you never buy a bad deal just because you're going to save taxes. If I want to save $10,000 on taxes and it's going to cost me $20,000 in overpaid capital expense, whatever, it's not a good deal because nobody ever went broke paid tax on profit. It just feels like, but you don't. So it's all never, ever go into a bad deal. Let the 1031 die. Specifically, there's no penalty for starting and not completing a 1031 exchange. So you start a 1031 exchange, you know, you, you pay eight or nine hundred bucks for the exchange fee. And that gives you another month and a half to simply look at the market and see what's out there. If you can't find something, let your exchange die. Pay tax on the profit, live to find another day. But you never know what's going to happen in that 45 days. When you stop and think about what the Fed did this year, it seemed like every month they were ticking up interest another half point. So that changes the market dramatically in the course of 45 or 60 days. So many times you're able, because you're extending your on-ramp, you're able to find the other works. So number one, don't ever do it if it's not going to work. Number two, always buy time. Every good poker player knows whether he's got one chip or a million dollars in chips on the table. As long as he's got one, if he can keep it, he's got a chance. It's just going to take him longer. And number three is you've got to let the market speak. There's a poison pill with 1031 investing. And you'll understand this as soon as I start to talk about it. The very best time to sell your property and start a 1031 exchange is what kind of market? It's a seller's market, right? What's the very worst time to finish a 1031 exchange and find your replacement property? A seller's market, because now you're the buyer. And so in a 1031 exchange, you're always going to be both a seller and a buyer. So the exact opposite is true as well. The best time to finish an exchange is when it's a buyer's market and there's lots of properties to buy, prices are depressed, but that's also the worst time to start your 1031. So you just have to recognize where you're at in a market and what the market is saying to you. People talk about, I don't want to have to overpay for a property. I get that. But there's also a little element in there that you want to remember that you're having to pay more, but you also got more than you would have normally. So you got to learn to recognize what a good deal is, not based on simply what you bought your property for two years ago, but what the market is right now. And that will help you a lot to ease that congestive thinking that says, I can't find a good deal. A good deal is not what you paid for two years ago. A good deal is what is a good deal in today's market right now and what's going to go forward. So I always tell people that number three, you know, let the market speak to you. Now that leads us to what I think is one of the coolest hacks in all of 1031 world. And it's happening right now as of November 18th. If you sell a property in between November 18th and December 31st, your sale occurs in 2023. We have to hold your proceeds 
until there's no longer the opportunity to complete an exchange. The first time that's going to happen is at day 45. And at day 45, if you don't turn in a list, your exchange dies, you get your proceeds back, you're going to have to pay the tax. But when did you get your proceeds? You got them in 2024. So your accountant has the opportunity to show your 23 transaction as an installment sale with no money received. So no taxes due in April of 2024 because your exchange was still going. All of the money received in 2024. So when do you pay your taxes? April of 2025 or October if you extend again. So even if you don't complete a 1031, right now is an awesome opportunity because you can get your money and have a year and a half to go make money off of it before you have to pay the tax. That's a great point. I never realized mm -hmm. that. I didn't think about yeah, it that me either. Yeah, that's funny. So it's an interesting time because last time when you came on the show, the market was a lot different than it is now, right? I think we're at like 12 year low in terms of like actual purchases, a 13 year low. Realtors are freaking out everywhere, right? It's an interesting time. So if you did end up selling, you got a deal of a lifetime. That is also true for one, one thing or another, right? But if you got a deal right now and you're doing a 1031 and you can find a home to invest in, is there other things that investors could put their money in that would qualify as a 1031 that is not a single family or like a multifamily that they own themselves? Like, can they go in a syndication? Can they invest in mobile home parks? Or is that not, not allowed? Yeah, so the uh, the key to a 1031 exchange is that it's a sale of actual real estate followed by a purchase of actual real estate. The type doesn't matter. So some of those things you mentioned, mobile home parks, single-family homes, those kinds of things, as long as it's real estate, absolutely. Syndications will sometimes work if the syndicator is allowing you to purchase a tenant in common interest in the real estate itself. But most syndications are set up so what you're buying is a membership interest in an entity that owns real estate. That does not qualify for a 1031. Got the it. So you have to product, own a piece of it yourself in, in your own it, personal name or the name of the person that sold the asset. Exactly. Now, the one thing that a lot of our folks will go into right now is what's called a Delaware Statutory Trust. And these are a lot like a syndication, but because they've been set up in a specific way, the IRS has blessed them as replacement properties for 1031 exchange. And so it could be a self-storage unit in Baton Rouge or a, an Amazon distribution center in Omaha, but it all qualifies. And these will have typically a two to five year holding period. So a Delaware statutory trust acts a lot like a syndication in that you're buying a small piece of a larger asset. So they're relatively easy to find. Um, and you're actually, because they've been blessed by the IRS, they can qualify for 1031, even though you're not specifically going on title to the property. So it's the one type of trust 
that the IRS allows this for. And so what we see a lot of our investors doing now is they'll 1031 out at the top of the market where they think they are. And they'll go buy a Delaware statutory trust simply as a holding marker that they'll go into for two or three years till it sells. Because when they sell, they'll 1031 back out into a market that's more favorable for purchase. Either because interest rates have dropped or because inventory is higher or there's been a market correction. And so it's kind of a form of selling high and then being able to buy low later while keeping the tax deferred. STR Nation, want to know how I gained $817,000 in equity in 19 months using none of my own money? Well, if you haven't already heard me talk about boutique hotels, I just recorded an 18-minute case study for my private mastermind group on how I bought a tiny 13-unit hotel in Rockport and more than doubled its value from 2.25 to 5.5 million in 19 months. But instead of keeping this one a secret, I decided to share it with you guys completely free. Just go to www.strsecrets.com hotels to access the case study and promise in just 18 minutes, you'll know why boutique hotels are my favorite STR strategy in 2023. I break down everything from the renovations, the location, the investment, the equity, the financing, and how to take advantage of forced appreciation. So when you have 20 minutes, go to www.strsecrets.com hotels. And now let's get into this week's episode. I'm, I'm trying to follow because that sounds very interesting. So you said it's like a syndication. Is it a syndication? It's just structured as this type of trust. And basically you're buying into somebody else's deal or. That's exactly right. That okay. Yeah, that's exactly right. Most syndications are set up as limited liability partnerships or general partnerships. And because they're set up that way, they can issue different levels of stock or ownership interest. There could be preferred, there could be uh, something that comes with liability, whatever. In a Delaware statutory trust, guess where that trust is formed? Delaware. And within every investor, is treated equally according to their membership interest. So if I own 5% of that and the sponsor of the trust or the general partner owns 75%, they only get 75% of the income, appreciation, amortization of the loan, and depreciation write-offs. They don't get additional because they accepted my money. I don't have to give that up. I own exactly how much I own. So it's kind of neat that way because everybody's treated equally, but that's exactly what it is. There's a company that formed it. They bought the property, they stabilized it, they built it, they did whatever. And then that's their business. That's what they do. So to fund their next deal, they spin this off as a Delaware statutory trust. And they try to sell their membership interest to a bunch of people. And generally the end game for these is that they'll end up being sold to pension funds, retirement funds, hedge funds, people looking for large, large, large assets. And that they have while the meanwhile, they're simply building their next one. So can a regular guy make a Delaware statutory, that's a big word for me, trust, or, or is that something that it's given to big companies as kind of like a, a little cookie for them to do like larger, larger projects. Because when you were talking earlier, you were talking about like big, like Amazon warehouses and 
those type of things. So can Mike and I do a thing where we offer this to people or is this something that is kind of like a vehicle given to the big guys to help them invest more? Yeah, no, you absolutely could. The problem comes in that just like with the syndication, there's a cost okay. associated with setting it up that way. And so many times the size of the deal will okay. be cost prohibitive for what it takes to set it up. But absolutely anybody can. Now, most of these are set up so that they require accredited um, investors who have a certain income level or asset level. But some of them will allow self-accreditation. Some of them will allow non-accredited investors as well. It just depends on the structure. Interesting. Okay. I never heard of that before. I love it. Learn something every day. Yeah. Every day. Every time we talk to every time we talk to Dave, we learn something new. And if you didn't listen to the last episode, that was one of the memories that I had of Dave was this kind of like radio, radio voice that he has. And then a long story that ends up with him on a sailboat. Owning a boat. Yeah, owning a boat. And don't tell this story again. Go back and listen to it because it was a fascinating story that came through this little things that he does and just how well he knows the tax code and everything that goes into it. Dave, how did the book come about? Were you bored? Like what, what happened? How did you get into writing a book? You know, all along, I have felt like the 1031 industry has mm -hmm. suffered from an image problem because the folks who do 1031 exchanges are absolute boring accountants and attorneys. And everyone that I ever talked to was seemed to be bent on trying to impress you with how difficult they were and how much they knew. And the whole marketing plan was you need to use me as your QI because nobody else understands the tax code. And it's a scary thing. And the longer I went in this, that just really disgusted me because I'm a normal guy. And the 1031 is so powerful for normal people that to see people scared by it is just horrible. So we started our, our web presence, our marketing efforts, the teaching that we do to realtors, and then finally the book, all based on the fact that what people need is less of an expert and more education be there so that they can decide for themselves. So as I was writing that book, it kind of started out as the how-to, but by the end, I realized this really fun transition had happened, that it actually became not a necessarily how to do a 1031 exchange, but it became a how to reach your dream, whatever that is. And the 1031 exchange is an example of several different ways that you can use that to reach your dream, whether it's living on a boat or in a cabin in the mountains or an RV or just investing with your children. And that's what it became. That's why I'm very proud of it for that. It's written yeah. in everyday language. I'm, I'm excited. I saw my copy just came in the mail, I think two days ago, and I was telling Dave offline, we've been unpacking and moving. So maybe it came earlier than that, but I opened it two days ago and, uh, I haven't dove in quite yet, but I was just going through anytime I read a book and maybe this is me just being a geek, but I always scroll through like the table of contents and just kind of get a preview of like what's in store. And for me, I'm all about simplicity 
And I love how it's like laid out sequentially. And to me, I look at this, like when I first opened it, I was like, wow, like this is almost like a step-by-step manual all the way from the thought process at the beginning of like, is this for me? And I think there's even a chapter called like, is this for me or why even bother all the way through like each of the different rules and things to look out for. So you still should need to use a QI or I don't know if it's legally required, but I would highly recommend it regardless, even if it's not, cause there's a lot going on, but at least you understand like the framework for how to go about this whole process. And then that way, when you're talking to somebody like Dave, you're going to at least be speaking the same lingo and understand what the hell they're trying to tell you. Otherwise you just show up and you're like, I don't know. I heard about this thing, like walk me through it and you're going through it totally blind. So I'm excited about it. I think anytime we start talking about taxes or finances or like strategic planning, I think a lot of people get like freaked out where like, oh, I'm not a numbers person. I'm not a spreadsheet person. I'm like, well, if you want to be an investor or a full-time like operator, you have to understand these things. And it's part of just shifting your identity of like the numbers aren't scary. 1031 exchanges aren't scary. Cost segregation studies aren't scary. It's just part of the business. And it's just something that you get to learn about. And reading this book, Lifetime Tax-Free Wealth, it's just going to give you that like framework for what is this thing and how do I use it? Because every time you add another tool in your tool belt, like Dave talked about at the beginning, that 30 grand could have turned into two, three, 400,000 if he knew about this back then. So if you're just getting started, like now's a really good time to figure this out as you start to build out your plan and start to get more acquisitions going. So E, I don't know if you got a comment you know on that. It changed my so life forever. Go for it. My life changed forever. The day I discovered the auto sum button on Excel. <laughs> Excel needs to be your best friend. Love that. Yeah. But also because to me, it's just, it's just like, I just want people to go in it and be open to learning it. That doesn't mean you have to do it, but you should learn it. And one of my greatest blessings in, in getting started in this business was being the maintenance guy. I never wanted to be a maintenance guy for the rest of my life, but it gave me a grip on the business that helps me run the business now. So it's the same thing and just be aware of how to do things. And then that doesn't mean for the rest of your life, you're going to have to do this, study this and be this person. Then you'll find the, the who know how that's going to help you do this to the highest level, but understand what, what it is, because then you don't know. And like, I also, I'm a huge believer in like cross pollinating ideas in your mind through different things that you may or may not know and the gift that may come from that. So you might have a background that's completely different and you read Dave's book or you read another book on something and you're like, this is a little bit above, above my pay grade, but one concept hits you and you're like, wow, that makes a difference. And you never know until you read it and worse comes to worse. You read it, you're like, I'll keep this in the bathroom, you know, who knows, but you know, the, well, thanks, there's always enough. Yeah, I'm not saying your specific book. <laughs> I'm not saying your specific book, but a book in general, you know. But who knows? Somebody goes to the bathroom and has a has an epiphany, you know. Keep taking so, it out. <laughs> well, speaking speaking yeah. of the book, where can folks get a copy of this? Uh, it's available on Amazon. You can just Google up either Dave Foster 1031 book or Lifetime Tax Free Wealth. The Real Estate Investor's Guide to the 1031 Exchange. Easiest way to do it. 
hey, they'll even let you give it as a gift if you know someone else that needs a book in their bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I love it. Well, Dave, I really appreciate you right. coming on here. I'm, I'm curious. One last question before we get into the final question. Is, is that the boat, by the way? I was thinking of that when I saw the cover. Is that the sailboat that we were talking about before? Or is that just that you is. guys at the marina? Yeah. Oh, that's, that's a freaking awesome. sailboat. And on the back cover, you see the Motley crew. Love it. Oh, that's you guys. Now, do you guys uh, have children? I, I do. do I've got kids? one and another one on the way. So I, I have my right, So I can tell this. And, and all of my go. friends' kids. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the greatest timeout strategy ever. When you live on a boat, they're annoying you to your last nerve. Don't send them down below to their room. Put them in the dinghy and tow it off the back of the boat. It was nice. awesome. <laughs> nice. Parenting advice sprinkled in. Love it. Well, Dave, again, really appreciate you coming on here. For the listeners, we will have the link to the book. Again, it's called Lifetime Tax-Free Wealth by Dave Foster, The Real Estate Investor's Guide to the 1031 Exchange. Go grab a copy on Amazon. This will save you hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars over the course of your investing career. Um, so I know we we're joking around a lot, but I'm serious. Like this will save you a boatload of money. And you know, when you're thinking about children, this compounds time and time and time again. And then you work with an estate planning attorney and everything else. Like then you can pass a lot of these assets to your kids tax-free. So really powerful strategy. And I mean, shit, Dave could have done a lot with that 200 or 300 grand. So we're not going to rub it in. But again, appreciate you coming on. Thanks. The last question that we asked all of our guests, and you've done a lot of different real estate. So I'll make it a little more broad for you. But what is your number one secret to success with real estate investing? You know, that again, I'll let you learn from my mistake. Never invest with anyone whose credit score is lower than you. You may think that you're not able to make a deal work, but here's the truth. It's not the deal that you don't get that kills you. It's the one you do get because you stretched it with partners that you shouldn't have had. That partners very, very closely. Mm. Mm. That's mm. great advice that we haven't had in all of the episodes that we've done. Love it. Good stuff. Well, Dave, Dave thanks for again, sir. Day. Really appreciate you. For the listeners out there, go grab a copy of the book, get yourself educated, set yourself up for those 1031 exchanges, and we will talk to you guys soon. Take care, everybody. Hey, STR Nation, if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a review. And in the comments, let us know what topics you want us to cover on upcoming episodes, and we'll make sure to get that in the books for you. And if you really want to learn how to launch, automate, and scale your short-term rental business, if you want to go deeper, then check out our free masterclass at strsecrets.com.